Welcome back to the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com, as always, for all the back episodes of the show. Or if you missed my previous interview with Michael Lewis of Rathlon Pignatelli, talking about uh, their work around the YDC uh, lawsuits and everything around that terrible situation. In this segment, I have a much more upbeat and uh, interview, and I'm very happy to have Executive Director Lucinda Williams of the New Hampshire Music Festival joining the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me, AJ. I'm a huge fan. Thanks. So you're coming up. It's the 70th year of the New Hampshire Music Festival. If people want to get tickets, it's nhmf.org. We can hear in the back famous musicians' dogs barking in the background. You're getting ready for everyone to start arriving in the coming days. Oh, you excited here coming up on uh, everyone arriving next week? Oh, yes, we are. I mean, 75 musicians and their families will be coming from all parts of the United States to come back to the university, the uh, Plymouth State University, where we live and work and perform. So next week, everybody's coming back post-COVID. Wah, wah. And uh, we're so excited. Yeah, it's great. I mean, what's the uh, lineup looking like for the the groups that perform and what people can expect if they uh, go to nhms.org? NHMF NMF, Festival. Sorry, yeah. um, yes, that's fine. Uh, so it's a this year it's a four week festival. Uh, what you will see is seventy five of the country's top musicians, orchestra musicians. These musicians come from symphony orchestras like um, San Francisco, Cincinnati, uh, Seattle, Portland. Boston. We have the assistant concertmaster of Boston, who is our concertmaster. They have come to Plymouth State to be part of the festival for 70 years, not all of them 70 years, but, um, and you will see these top-notch professional musicians uh, perform the greatest classical repertoire out there. Everything from Dvorak to things we've commissioned as a festival in the past, Havanas, um, the major, we're going to end the season with Orff's Carmina Burana, which is a huge crowd pleaser. But what they can expect is to go online to our website and find out information about all of our classical concerts, as well as our chamber concerts and the diverse repertoire and, and world-class artists that we have come to join us um, and, and come hear great classical music. And in the first uh, show is going to be July seventh, right? So I get that right, so people know what to expect. Right, we're op- right. We're going to open with a Beethoven violin concerto by our own concertmaster, which will be spectacular. The second half of the show is going to be a feature of Alan Havanis's Loon Lake Symphony, which was literally commissioned by the New Hampshire Music Festival forty years ago, and literally is written in. Um, in respect of the, the Lakes region where we perform, where we've lived for all these years. It's a gorgeous symphony with loon calls and bird calls. And I, it's, a, it's a beautiful symphony that's not often heard, but is quite worth, quite worth the listening to. It's delightful. So why do you let, let's get philosophical here about the, the music being performed a little bit. I mean, in 2022, there's so many genres of music out there. Why do you feel like classical music is still very relevant nowadays um, and people should definitely be checking out, especially live? 
Well, I think it speaks to society as a whole that we've always had great orchestras in this country. And there are always people that go to hear them because it's not just the music and, and the emotions and feelings it evokes. It's a history lesson, you know, about where the world was at certain times. It, it will always be relevant for people who care about looking at the past and learning from it. And it's done in this way where we're all together enjoying great music. I, you know, there's always been from, I've been in this business 40 years and there's always been the discussion of, well, why is classical music still relevant? And I always sort of shake my head and laugh and I say, I've been asked that question for 40 years and it continues to be here and relevant. Um, it's just a wonderful experience. I'm, I have personal stories of people that have come up to me that are in the woes of battling cancer or horrible personal tragedies. And they find that the two hours of listening to that beautiful full symphony orchestra transports them away. Um, I think we all find that in the arts that you can be taken to a, another place where things are forgotten and your worries are left behind. So that's, that's to me why it's relevant. Maybe that was too much information, but. No, th that makes total sense. And it's some ways like I did study music in college. That was my major and the, the, like the compositions and when you look at it, there's just a lot more nuance when it comes to the the style of music like there's there's lows and highs it goes back and forth over a piece the piece can actually expand more than three minutes like it could be a it could be a couple hour long ultimately the full composition of a symphony or something like that and it, you actually take the time to think about what it is you're listening to because you have the time because it's not just gonna be over and you move on with your day well, exactly. And I think, you know, the whole structure of a symphony um, a orchestra that uh, performing a Beethoven symphony is it comes to you in movements and those movements take you through an emotional journey. And again, you find all the outside world melts away because you're riding this journey and you're riding it with 75 musicians who are there doing everything they can to give you the best experience. And, and it, it really is, it's, it's transporting. Now, people are still composing music for, for yes. classical orchestra. So, I mean, what, what's some ways that uh, you're incorporating more modern music into it? How are you, how are you finding people that are they're still composing? Hey, Jay, you ask great questions. Well, that's part of what New Hampshire Music Festival is most proud of. When we were founded 70 years ago, Part of the principle was, is that we would find these young composers and make sure that they had an orchestra ready to perform their works, that we wanted to hear new music. And that's been the bedrock of our programming since day one. There are so many composers out there longing for an orchestra to pick up their piece and play it. Um, and we have a long history of commissioning. This little festival up in the Lakes region of New Hampshire has commissioned some of the finest um, composers to do symphonic works that major orchestras across the world 
perform. I mean, Alan Hovannis, um, John Adams, the list goes on and on of who we have actually commissioned to do new works. And as I said earlier, one of those pieces is going to be performed on the first week, which is Alan Havanis's Loon Lake. Um, and Alan Havanis, he went on, we've, we've commissioned many things that you can find in the main orchestra repertoire now being performed and recorded. Um, so that that contemporary, those are called contemporary. Anyone that's alive or in the in the uh, 20th century, 21st century has composed are called contemporary works. And we are a big player in that scene. We believe in that very strongly. And the these smaller composers desperately need it if they want to be seen elsewhere. Because you, you, I can't imagine composing a huge piece like that and not having it played for me in some way and understand like how is it actually going to come out oh no it's like did i do this right so you can only do so much with a computer and a piano exactly exactly and then to have these musicians give you that input you know from years of their playing on what maybe could make your composition better i mean i've been a part of that um process and i mean just great brilliant artistic minds honing this music and of course these young composers they need us you know i mean it would be like if you wrote the most wonderful novel but no one would ever publish it for you and no one ever got to read it um so we have a duty to composers and it's important to us i'm very proud of that um for many years i worked at baltimore symphony orchestra as the vice president david zinman was my music director and that was a big part of what we did was new composers it's important well the conductors there's that's like the thing people the person people see when they when they go when they go to see the boston pops or something like that they think of the compo the uh the conductor that's up front leading everything along and speaking to the audience about what's being performed and such what are some standouts with the uh, conductors you have for this season well, this is a, it, we have a music director in residence. His name is Paul Polovnik, and he's been with us for many, many years. And I think a lot of people look at the man that holds the stick or the woman, because there are many great women conductors now. Um, and they say, what are they doing? And I wish that they could have the inside picture of what all that person is doing to keep 75 to 80 to sometimes 120 musicians all on the same page all on the same beat, all playing at the precise levels that they need to play because look, if you're an artist, you're a diva. I don't care what you say. You all think you have, yes, I see you laughing. So, um, yeah, that, especially with, a, with an orchestra and something like that, especially, I mean, you, you gotta be playing cr exactly correct in line with everyone you else in can... your group. <laughs> I, before I got into the professional world, I did youth orchestras. So I believe very much in teaching young people and being there for them. And you can have a train wreck real fast. So the gal or the girl with a the stick, they're real important. Yeah. But we have Paul Polovnik and he's delightful and he's so talented. He conducts all over the world and he will be leading all of the classical performances this year. How are the musicians that are selected to perform and to join up for this? It's just like the regular big league orchestras. When you get a vacancy, which is few and far between because there are more professional orchestra musicians than there are orchestras in the country to, to house them, 
We will hold auditions. We will post the position um, nationally. Uh, we will possibly get as many as three to 400 resumes and tapes from people that would like to audition for that seat. We go through all of those tapes. We whittle it down. It's a big process to get a seat in a symphony orchestra. But um, again, I, I wish New Hampshire knows would know. And through your podcast, I hope more people learn of the brilliant musicians that come to New Hampshire Music Festival. Just, we are gifted. Uh, our principal horn is one of the finest horn players in the country. Our principal cello uh, violinist, truly, we are so blessed. So how does it work for the musicians for with regards to receiving the material that they're going to be performing? Are they Did they get this months ago? Is this something that they're oh, a couple weeks well, ago? We, we, look? we program out at least a year in advance, at least a year, should be two years to get the guest artists in place, to agree on all the repertoire, to look at the length of the concert, to make sure operationally we can pull it off. And then this year, the festival has gone green. Um, in the past, we used to literally buy all this music. So you're looking at 75 parts that all need copied and mailed to people because you don't want to send them the original so that they can leave it in California and show up with no music. So you would copy all. And this was a huge undertaking because a musician will want their music at least three to four months in advance so they can begin to prep their work and, and come prepared. So this year we purchased a top of the line scanner um, and software that we can scan all of the musicians' music, put it in a Dropbox. They can open it up on their iPads or print it out at home. But we have saved on tremendous amounts of paper, postage, and all those things that you need to think. You need to think not only environmentally, what's the best thing to do for your, you know, for your organization, but also, you know, what is the best thing for costs? So purchasing this scanner and having this technology has been a game changer for us. But the musicians had their music over three months ago. Um, all the bowings are in the string parts. Then we're ready to go. Selfish tech dork question. Uh, how, how over the last decade, especially, I mean, has, have a lot more musicians moved to using like iPads and such for reading yes. music? Yes. Yes. Now, this doesn't mean that we we still must purchase music. Our music library budget alone can be upwards of $20,000 for a season. You have to buy or rent all of these scores and parts. Um, but uh, I'm seeing more and more musicians come to the stands without paper. They're coming with their iPads. And it's I think it's a wonderful thing. Talk about your host for the for for this. Uh, what's Plymouth State University like for for hosting this? Well, we turn Plymouth State on its ear each year. I mean, they provide us with townhomes for our musicians and their families to move into. Um, we are just now finalizing the rooming list. Uh, we have a storage company that stores all the things that musicians need to live on campus, to do their own cooking, to bedding. I mean, they have these in totes. So we have 250 totes get delivered to Plymouth State. All those totes go into their townhomes. Uh, so we totally take over that campus. Um, 
I'm constantly uh, telling everybody on the campus how much I love them because we are a complete handful and we know it. So we take over the housing and then we totally take over the Silver Center for the Arts. Uh, we perform on the Hanaway stage, do all of our rehearsals there. Um, so Plymouth has been our home for 40 of our 70 years. Uh, and we've lived on site and performed on this stage. It's a beautiful venue, beautiful stage. And we love our home at Plymouth. It must really help to have all, everyone all in one place like this. I mean, that's got to be such a, a bear if you're down in the Boston area trying to get housing for musicians and feeding them and then having consistent practice space that you basically can have 24-7 through the length of the festival, essentially. Well, I mean, to just give you an idea is, I mean, the festival runs on just under a million dollar budget for this festival. And, you know, $250,000 of that goes to the salaries for the musicians while they're there. And about 200,000 goes to PSU just for that housing to use the Silver Center. I mean, we take it over, um, but I've done the math. And for us to go into a hotel or some, we would be looking at triple the cost. So we greatly value the ability to have the musicians on site. And a lot of our musicians are hikers and bikers and they, they love the ability to just leave their town home, hop on a bicycle and drive straight down to the hall where we're gonna perform. You know, so that it, it is an absolute godsend and probably the demise of the festival if we did not have that because of overhead costs. It would be simply something we couldn't bear. And I'd imagine all the musicians and such must love being able to go to the lakes region and such is such a great part of the state. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I had to have a talking to uh, with them about the, you know, storing things like kayaks and canoes and hiking gear. I'm not, no, no, wait a minute. This is, they you turn know, into college students I, real course. quick. The, it's it's a staycation it's just you know it's work and play um and but we love that and and the businesses in the area they know when we're coming you know all of the restaurants are packed um the musicians are running things they're at the hardware stores buying things they need last week so they know when we're coming i mean we're we're moving that business economic impact needle pretty large <laughs> That's great. So give the elevator pitch. we got about one minute left on uh, people if they want to uh, learn more about the festival and what they can expect. Well, please go to the website because we do a really good job. At our history is up there. We're, seven, we're celebrating our 70th anniversary, and it's fascinating how it started on a little island called Melody Island in Lake Winnipesaukee in the 1940s is how we actually first developed. But go to the website, read the history, then see the personnel that plays, and then look at all the concerts we're doing. Whatever genre of music that you like, we have it. We have it. You're going you're gonna to love your experience, and we're going to love welcoming you. Um, we love our audiences. Executive Director Lucinda Williams of the New Hampshire Music Festival, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, AJ, thank you for having us.
All right, New Hampshire Music Festival is coming up on its 70th year this year. Be sure to check out more about it at nhmf.org. Once again, it's the New Hampshire Music Festival taking place through July. Check it out. Get your tickets now before they run out. You're listening to New England Take and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. We're going to be going to one more break here. We'll be right back after this.